Uh, we are going to be looking in the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry, not Luke, John. Whew. Better get that right. That messed me up. John chapter 6. So. So, many of you may or may not know, I went to high school around here in Wichita, and I played soccer in high school because soccer is the best, just so you know. Okay, maybe not. The Kansas City Chiefs are the best. That is a fact. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. Don't be laughing. Anyways, I'll move on. But, so I played soccer in high school, and obviously we went on several trips for different tournaments and different things of that nature. Uh, and so, as a freshman, you know, I traveled with some of the upperclassmen, and as a freshman, some of you freshmen probably don't realize this, and even some of you younger people, you don't know everything. So, I'm telling you that because as a freshman, I said some things that I probably should not have said as a freshman in high school, especially to upperclassmen. It got me in some trouble. So, we were on this trip one time, <coughs> we were heading to a tournament uh, in Missouri, and Anyways, we were, they're talking about some random stuff, and I'd seen people do things over and over again about, you know, just pe- guys picking on other guys and so forth. So I thought as a freshman, I could obviously do this to a senior. Freshmen can pick on seniors, right? That seems like a legitimate thing to me. I saw it happen all the time. Not necessarily freshman to senior, but I saw people picking on others all the time. So we were traveling along. They're making jokes, laughing, having a good time, and all of a sudden, I made an insult to some senior because I thought it was a cool thing to do. Side note, it was not cool. So, <laughs> but we're trying, and I made some comment about some senior's girlfriend who did not exist, and apparently he took offense to that. I have no idea why. We're traveling down the highway, you know, 60 miles an hour here on this bus, and I said this, and I'm not kidding, in a matter of seconds, the senior's jumping over seats, running up, and proceeded to beat me, and I thought, all right, this is probably not the best decision of my life. And I'm not kidding, the driver of the bus, who was the coach, just turned that mirror up and it's like, didn't even happen. <laughs> I was just thinking, man, this, this coach has got to save me. I'm sitting right behind the coach for a reason, because I want him to save me in these situations. And he just turned the mirror up so I couldn't see anything. Like, I don't know what's happening, you know. It's... Long story short, sometimes we uh, get influenced by people to do things that might not be in our best interest. I know that might be a shock to you. But I saw all these other uh, players, these even juniors and seniors picking on each other. I thought as a freshman, that seems like a good idea. I can follow their example. If you're a freshman or a seventh grader, don't pick on the upperclassmen. I might try to save you, but I might be a little slow getting there if you deserve it, just so you know. <coughs> like my coach eventually stepped in, but it wasn't until I had a few bruises first. And it wasn't one of those bullying things. I fully deserved everything I got because well, I know what I said and I deserved it. So, but we're going to be looking in uh, John chapter 6 about um, the disciples and Jesus, obviously. Uh, so, just as a little background leading up to this, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 people. Okay, I mean, he like made food appear, kind of thing, you know. Jesus did that with his miracle. He fed people, you know, gave them fish and bread. Uh, shortly thereafter, he explained how he is the bread of life. You know, uh, explaining how he's the only way to heaven, so on and so forth. And then we get, (coughs) we're going to look at verse 60 to start with. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. 
So Jesus had just explained to this large crowd that was following him still. He just explained to him that basically he was the only way to heaven. There's no other way to heaven except through him. Uh, and he's the bread of life and so on and so forth. And get this though, before we even get this, the people looked at him and said, uh, are you really sure this is real? We need a sign from you. Like literally he just fed the 5,000 people and they're like, we need a sign that you're really God. We don't believe you. I was thinking, what are these people thinking? This guy literally just fed 5,000 people with a couple pieces uh, of fish and bread and they're wanting a sign. That's crazy to me, but we'll get back to that in a second. But so Jesus just fed them. They want a sign. He says, man, I'm the bread of life. I'm the only way to heaven. You have to accept all of me uh, and nothing else in this world. Uh, and then reject everything else. And then you can have eternal life. And this is what they respond with. In verse 60, they said, <coughs> they said, on hearing it, on hearing this, what he just said about how to gain eternal life. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can even accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this really offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would even betray him. And he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And then verse 66 says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so, I forgot to load my PowerPoint in there, but you'll just have to follow along really closely. But the first thing is, following Jesus is difficult. This might be a shock to you. Following Jesus is difficult. Actually, it's probably not a shock to you at all. But you might have realized by following Jesus that life is not always easy. Life is oftentimes very difficult. But Jesus was telling these, this, these, this crowd and these disciples here that if they want to really receive eternal life, they have to accept all of him. You can't just accept part of him. They, I mean, these people were so confused. They said, who can even accept this really hard truth? You're telling something so hard that who can even listen to it? Who can accept this truth? And Jesus like, man, you have to reject everything in this world that doesn't align with me in order to gain this eternal life. And the crowd... You know, they responded and thought, "This Jesus, you're asking way too much. There's no way somebody can follow this. How can anybody even listen to this? I mean, they, they wanted this sign again. They're just like, Jesus, show us the sign. How can we really know you are the Messiah? How can we really know that you are God? So I had a teacher when I was in junior high. His name's Joe. He actually became a pastor, but he used to pitch in the minor leagues. And he told me he pitched in the minor leagues, and I didn't believe it. I said, I need a sign. I don't believe you at all which is the wrong thing to say to a minor league pitcher. Because he said, let's play dodgeball. Y'all can see where this is going before my seventh grade self saw where this was going. And I thought, whatever, I can beat you. You're an old man. Whether someone's an old man or not, if they pitch in, in the minor leagues even, that dude's got a cannon. I looked him up later. He, that dude's pitching like in the mid to high 90s. I don't know what he's pitching as he's throwing that dodgeball, but it seemed like it was coming that fast. It probably wasn't. So we're playing dodgeball in the middle of this gym, and I still have no clue this guy's telling me the truth. I thought he's, you know, just messing around with me, that he didn't really pitch. It's like, whatever. So as a seventh grader, I didn't have many moves for dodgeball except for, you know, jump out of the way. It's crazy, I know. I just jump in the air and hope it went under my feet. Well, as a grown 
man, this guy figured out what my plan was to dodge these balls. I jumped in the air. He threw it at my feet. The problem was it hit my feet and it caused the rest of my body to go forward. <laughs> so I face planted here in the gym floor, and immediately at that moment I thought, I believe. <laughs> this guy really was a minor league pitcher. I believe him now. That guy can throw a cannon. And from then on out, anytime he had the ball, no joke, I just threw myself on the ground thinking, Lord, please save me because this, this is going to hurt. It was not a fun experience. But, you know, I wanted a sign from this teacher to prove to me that he was actually a minor league pitcher. Like he said he was, just like this crowd wanted a sign from Jesus saying, we want you to prove to us that you are God, that you are the Messiah. (coughs) But here's the thing, the calling of Jesus today is no different than it was then. The calling of Jesus today is no less intense, it's no less than what it was when Jesus was calling this crowd and these disciples to follow after him. And the main thing I want us to understand today is following Jesus is not just a one-time task. Following Jesus is a lifetime adventure. It's a lifetime of following him. I mean, when, we, when you go to college, when you go to different places, it's real easy to do different things other than following Jesus. It's real easy to just follow the crowd. It's real easy to be like our co-workers. It's easy to be like the people we hang out with and and not follow Jesus like he called us to. And it's easy to follow the crowd and turn away from Jesus just like this crowd did. But the calling of Jesus is no different. He didn't just call people to go to church. He didn't just call people to pray. He didn't just call people to give their money to the church. He didn't just call people to simply live a good life. Those are all things that will happen just naturally by a person who's following after Jesus. But that's not what Jesus called us to do. He called us to live something much more than that. He calls people to deny their families. He calls people to deny themselves of even earthly things. He calls people to embrace hardship. I mean, Jesus said himself, he said, man, is the servant not greater than his master? He said, I suffered. Do you not think that you're going to suffer also? He's calling us to embrace hardship. He's calling us to deny our families, not necessarily to say, oh, I hate you, Colin. Don't say that. But he's, you know, he told these disciples, he said, man, if you still love your mother, father, brother, sister more than you love me, he says, you can't be my disciple. And he calls us to give up very extreme things. And, and when the crowd hears these things and, and many other things, just like how to have eternal life, they're like, who can really follow this? This is a really hard thing you're telling us. So why can anybody do this? Why can anybody follow this thing that you've called us to do? And the crowd, even at the time, they probably thought that they were like everybody else and they thought that they were in the right, saying, man, this guy's crazy. He's calling us to give up things that no one should ever call us to give up. And so here's the thing, though. Christians, especially Christians in America, we're a lot like this crowd. We want to say like we're like these close disciples who follow Jesus, but many times we're like the crowd. You know, we're happy when Jesus is doing miracles and providing for us. We're happy when he's doing all of these great things for our lives. But as soon as Jesus calls us to do something, we want to sign. Jesus, this is really what you want. I don't think you'd really want me to do that. But when we ask God for a sign, the sign and with the task we give him to do is almost an impossible task because we know God's not going to actually do this, so I don't have to actually do it. It's like, God, if I hit all these green lights today, then I know you're t- talking to me. And so, God, if you help me get this promotion, then God, I know that you're telling me to do this thing. God, if I, and we have all these lists of things we want God to do for us. Say, God, if you do all these things for me, then I'll do this one thing you 
that I think you're telling me to do. But I'm not sure you're actually telling me to give up these things in my life. That seems a little extreme. But if you really are, then do all these things for me. And we've become just like this crowd. Where Jesus just fed 5,000, performed a miracle. And they say, show us the sign that you're really God. And we've become just like this crowd where we want Jesus to give us a sign to prove to, prove to us that he is God when he has already done so much for us. The difference is that the church crowd, we might not leave the church and leave Jesus entirely like this crowd did. Um, but we might not be living the way we should. We might stay in the church, but we know we are right because, well, everyone else around us seems to be living the exact same way. Even the people in the church, they're living the same way as us, so God surely is not calling me to give up more than, than, what, than what I think he is. Surely not. The crazy thing is, this is almost a thought we have. We would never say this out loud, but we kind of have this thought of, how dare the creator of the universe and the giver of life ask me to give up something more than a Sunday morning? So does he not know that I'm busy? Again, we'd never say that out loud, but our actions would say that that's what our thought is. How dare the creator and giver of life ask me to do something else? How dare he? Does he not know how busy my life is? Does he not know the, the troubles I'm having at work and with my family? Does he not know? All? Obviously, God knows those things. He's God. But we want a sign because we, uh, we think that we know what's better for us rather than God. The problem is we don't reject the things that get in the way of Jesus. We usually reject Jesus when he gets in the way of our things. Say, so, well, God, I know you, I have a lot of homework, so I know it's okay if I don't have to go to church today. If I don't have to read my Bible today, I don't have to pray today, I got a lot of homework. You understand that. God, I haven't had time to do all the yard work around my house today, so I don't need to go to church. I don't really need to do these things. Oh, God, you don't know how late I was up last night. I mean, it was just, it was a crazy night. There's no way you'd want me to get up early and go to church and be sleepy all day. These might seem like really, these might seem like things that we would typically do. Say, well, obviously God doesn't want me to do those things, but God has called us to not live a life of luxury. God, God has called us to live a life that embraces hardship. He's called us to live a life that that denies the earthly pleasures to, so that we may pursue heavenly ones. Do we really think that our needs are greater than what God has for us? Because the thing is, we might not, not really say this out loud, but when we put these other things above God, when we choose to sleep in, when we choose to do our homework, when we choose to do all these other things, we're choosing to put those things above our relationship with God. We're choosing to put these things above us following after him. We're choosing to put these things above God himself. And we might think, well, I'm not really doing that. I'm just tired. You don't know. You're right. I don't know what's going on in your life. But what I do know is where's our priorities at? Because what your priority is is what your actions will do. When I was in high school, I used to get, I went to prom like everybody else in high school. Not because I went to, my mom said I had to. I literally did not want to go prom because I thought it'd be boring and dumb. As a conclusion, it was. I was right. But my mom still told me I had to go. She's like, oh, you want the experiences. You want this memory. Said, oh, I don't really want that. She says, well, don't you want to go to the after prom? Not really. You know, I could probably think of a lot better things to do than things they had planned. But <coughs> my mom forced me to go, literally. She 
even said, I'm not buying the ticket for you, you have to buy it yourself. said, if you're forcing me to go, shouldn't you buy it? She said, no. Try to get my dad to buy it. He's cheaper than I am. He'd never pay it. He just laughed at me. But, you know, I usually get home from prom at 4 or 5 in the morning, whatever time it was after, after prom and everything else. And you know what my parents did? How dare they? They woke me up early to go to church. They're like, Mom, I've been asleep for like an hour. She's like, I don't care. We're going to church. You know, but my parents made a priority to put Jesus first no matter what. Amen. It didn't matter how tired we were. It didn't matter what we did the night before. It didn't matter what homework we did or did not do. If, we had, if I had homework, they was like, Mom, I can't even go to church Sunday night. I'm busy. I'm like, I guess you should have planned that better. Shouldn't have. Yeah, we're going to church. I mean, my parents had an excuse for everything. The problem with my parents, not problem, but, you know, <coughs> don't tell them I said that. My, parent, my dad is a pastor, if you don't know, over in Andover. But the problem my parents, I said problem again, didn't mean it. The thing my parents always did, they'd quote scripture to me. They knew the Bible for some reason because they read it all the time. And I'd say, Mom, I don't need to do this homework. But if God comes, I don't want to waste my time doing that when I could be doing God things and kingdom work. And she said, well, I don't know what she said. She quoted some scripture to me. I usually ignored her when I was a teenager. So, but <coughs> she said, some along the lines of, well, you're supposed to do everything as if you're working for the Lord. And I said, well, I am. She's like, oh, really? What are you going to do for his kingdom work instead of homework then? She had an answer for everything. And I asked my dad if he'd just agree with her and tell me more scripture. <laughs> it's crazy. But, but the point of all this is our priorities really show with our actions. What we do, what we say, shows what our priority is. And, and these, this crowd here in John, the book of John, they heard these things that Jesus was calling them to do, and their priority was not great enough to fall after Jesus. Their priority, they thought, was other things. Uh, but <coughs> I'm look back at verse 62 again. Follow along with me again. So verse 62, just so we can catch up here. <coughs> it says, and Jesus talking here, he just you know, said, does this really offend all you guys? And then he said, this is, this is great, he says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Think about that. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Where was he before? He, yeah, he's in heaven, right? Because Jesus didn't just often come to existence at his birth. He's always existed. But um, we'll come back and look at that verse here in a second. But look at verse 63 following on. It says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father enabled him. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And they're not just not following him, it says they turned back and they no longer followed after him. But then, this is awesome, look at verse, uh, the next verse here. Jesus looked and says, uh, says, do you not want to leave too? Jesus asked the 12 disciples. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to where will we go? You have, you have the words of eternal life, and we've come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. The crowds have just left, thousands of people. And Jesus looks at these 12 disciples and says, do you want to leave too? And Peter, whether he realized it or not, says something so profound. He says, I'm going to tell you who you are and why we're going to follow, with you, follow you. He says, man, we've lived with you for quite a while now. This is 
well into Jesus' earthly ministry. I'm not sure exactly how long, but probably at least a couple of years, I would think. And they said, man, these people, have been, we've come to follow you for this amount of time. And we've come to know that you are who you say you are. You are the Holy One of God. You are the one that's set apart. And so, even though following Jesus is tough, how we follow Jesus for a lifetime is by recognizing and knowing who Jesus is. If we don't really know who Jesus is, we will not follow him for a lifetime. And when I say know who Jesus is, I don't mean, oh yeah, I know, we, he's the guy in the Bible. There's many people we read about in the Bible. But is Jesus really that different to you? Or is he like most of the other people we read about? So Jesus responded as this crowd said, man, who, who can really follow this? This is really hard. He says, what if I were to show you who I really was? What if you were to see me how I was before? What if you were to see me ascend to where I was before? He says, would you believe me then? And as we said, you know, Jesus was obviously in heaven before. He existed long before his birth. Uh, he didn't just come into existence at that moment in time. Um, but he always has and always will exist. Even at, from the very beginning of time during the creation of the universe, Jesus was there. But Jesus also went on and said, you know, these earthly things, these fleshly things, they don't give eternal life. You can put your trust, your hope in all these things that you think are great, says, but they will not give you life. It says only the things of the Spirit will give life. And Jesus says, I'm telling you these things which are of the Spirit and of truth. And so the disciples recognized who Jesus was because of one thing. Think about it, the Jewish people, who they've been waiting for for all this time? They've been waiting for the Messiah, right? Or the Christ, They've been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah and thousands of years if you include all the um, past history of, of Jewish people. But they've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come and rescue them. And they've come to know who Jesus was. They started following Jesus and it says, we have come to know who you are. And Peter says, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, holy means set apart. I mean, that's just... Every time I, I read this verse, it it literally just gives me goosebumps. It's just, Peter exclaims, we have come to know and believe that you are who you say you are because you are the Holy One, the one who got us set apart from the very beginning of time. We've come to know that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah. As Jesus was in heaven before he even came to earth, he had angels bowing down and worshiping him at his feet. He had angels sing his praises so loudly and proclaim them so much that it says the very threshold uh, of the temple was shaking, as we see through different visions that different prophets had. And he gave up all of that for one reason, to come to earth to live and die for us. That's who the disciples had come to know who Jesus was and recognize who Jesus was. But Jesus knew the things that he was asking the crowd to do and asking the disciples to do. He knew that it was a difficult thing. He knew that uh, m- most people would not want to do this, and that's why he turned the sign and says, do you not want to leave too? Man, and Peter, man, we've come to know who you are. We've come to know that you are the Holy One, the one set apart by God. And Peter's words were true because of one thing, because his actions followed what he said. Because he said it, and then him and the disciples continue to follow Jesus after this time. So many times our words, we say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. But our actions would not, would not say that that's what we truly believe in. 
our actions would say, we believe in Jesus as long as he's doing things for me. We believe in Jesus as long as he is providing for me. As long as he's doing miracles in my life, I believe in Jesus. As long as it's real easy to get up on Sunday mornings, I believe in Jesus. As long as it's easy to get into the God's word and read it, I believe in Jesus. And we think as long as it's easy to do these things, it's a real easy thing to do. So I went to seminary in Texas. That surprises most of you. I know it's like, what, this guy has a seminary degree? I know, shocked my dad too. <coughs> Literally, when I graduated, he said, Andrew, of all my kids, I thought you'd be the first to drop out of college. Thanks, Dad. You know, he's a real great encourager. That's his spiritual gift, I'm sure. <coughs> so uh, when I was going to seminary, they had this conference there every year called the Youth Ministry Lab. And at the Youth Ministry Lab, it's a conference that they do for youth workers and volunteers and youth pastors and all these different things and it's completely led and run by the students of the seminary there and they bring in big speakers uh, to come and speak and to lead breakouts and so forth and so uh, for two years while I was there I helped them organize and and run this conference and uh, come the day of the conference is supposed to start later that evening And they ask us to get there early. And me and about five or six guys, are, we're like basically the, the people have to go and do everything that nobody else wants to do. They give us like a fancy title like, I don't know, like the building committee or I don't know. The, we're basically the chair committee is what we were. We moved tables and chairs is what we did. So we got there early because they said we need you to go and set up all these rooms for all these different breakouts. and all these. So we're there like 8 o'clock in the morning setting all this up, and it gets to be about 1, 2 o'clock. I'm like, dude, talking to the guy in charge of our group, says, dude, we've got to take a break to go eat some lunch because I am starving. We've been moving, doing, using all this energy. I'm telling you, I'm going to pass out if I don't get some food pretty quick. And he says, sorry, man, they said we can't leave. We've got to stay here in case somebody else calls. I'm like, dude, it's like two or three hours before the conference starts. I think it would be a great time to go. You know, if it starts and they need us, we'll be here. He says, no, you can't leave. We literally just set up a room for all the guest speakers to come and eat food. I said, well, let me go in there and eat this food. And I literally tried to walk in, and one of the, like, in charge students there, I don't, well, anyway, so <coughs> I walk up, just trying to walk in. First off, they have God's chicken in there, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and I walk up there, and I'm just trying to walk through without anybody even noticing. I'm not asking. I'm just going to go take it. And they put, well, who are you? I say, who am I? I am a student here, and I want some chicken because I'm helping. I haven't got to eat all day. And they said, this is for speakers only. I said, well, what do you want me to speak? I'll speak on anything right now. (laughs) I just need me some chicken. I need me some food. And long story short, they will not let me in. They are basically guarding the door. First, I walked around the corner, and I waited, hoping they'd move away from the door because the food's like right inside the door. It's not going to be hard to get to. And they are... They saw me wait, and then they did not move from that door. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to be eating today. I looked at my leader and said, well, if I pass out, you now know what to tell the doctors. I have no food in my system, and that's why I'm decaying here. <coughs> and all of a sudden, the speakers start showing up, and I have no idea who any of these guys are. I know their names kind of, sort of, you know, because I've seen them on the program, but I don't know what any of them look like, but they're coming in one after another. Some of them are just professors. Some of them are just pastors from local churches. Some of them have flown in from all over the country. Some are big-name speakers that, if I knew names well, I'd probably tell you what their names were, but I have no clue what his name was. So one guy walks in, and I'm just sitting 
on the floor outside this room waiting for these people to get done thinking maybe if, after all these speakers go, maybe there'll be a little bit left. Probably not Chick-fil-A, but I'm hoping. <coughs> and this guy comes like, hey, aren't you going to come in here and eat with us? I said, I tried. They told me I couldn't. I'm just, I'm in a bad mood at this point. He says, what if I bring some out for you? I said, hey, I don't know who you are, but you look like you have a badge. They'll probably let you in and do whatever you want. He says, huh, all right, I'll go get you some chicken. So he goes in, comes out with the plate. I mean, it's heaping over because there's like four or five of us, like I said. And he comes out and says, oh, thank you. So he's like, you got to do something for me first. I said, all right, what's, what's that? And he points to this guy at the other end of this hall. And this is a long hallway. And he says, see that guy? And it's a guy I knew. His name is also Andrew. Not to be confused with me, but he's another Andrew. He's a big guy. He's probably <coughs> 6'2 and probably at least 350 pounds. And he looks at me and says, you got to go tackle that guy. I said, do what now? He says, you go tackle that guy, I'll give you this plate of chicken. I did not ask his second question. I started running towards that man. I thought, I need me some chicken, some God's chicken, I need me some protein. And I start sprinting towards this guy, and he has no clue what's going on. And he sees me coming, his eyes get real big, he like braces himself because he does not know what's happening. He just knows that this guy is running at him. And as I'm running, I hear something behind me. I look, and these two other guys are running with me because they're like, they're just as hungry as I am. I'm just the outspoken one. <laughs> so we got three guys running to tackle Andrew. And I look back, I hear these guys, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. And Andrew has no clue what's happening. Andrew just sees three people running at him full speed, and he has, he's just trying to brace himself because, like I said, he has no clue. We get there. I tackle his midsection. Somebody else takes out his legs. Another guy pushes him over the top. He went down in no time. And before he could even get up, we're already running him back because we want the chicken. <coughs> so we get back. He gives us the chicken. He's dying laughing. I think, thank you, sir. I'll take this chicken now. We shared chicken with Andrew, too, so don't feel too bad for him. Because he told us later, I don't know what you were doing. I just knew that I saw people running at me, and I had to brace myself. He said, but you got me chicken, so I'll forgive you. <laughs> Come to find out, we're sitting at the conference later. The main stage speaker gets up here, and it's the very guy that had me go tackle this guy. And I'm thinking, that is who he is? It's like, oh, man, I wonder if he'd get in trouble for that. Probably not. He's the main stage speaker. These college students don't know what they're doing. So, but we had no clue who this guy was. No clue. But when, we, when I actually recognized who he actually was as the main stage speaker, I don't <coughs> remember his name, but he was, he's a guy that still travels all over the country speaking and apparently some well-known guy, but, you know, to me, he's just another guy, because he is. But when I actually recognized who he really was, it changed my perspective of even that one instance of him telling me to go tackle a guy for a plate of chicken. Because if it was just some random guy, I probably would have still done it, but <laughs> the fact that he was this main stage speaker, supposed to be this spiritual guy, he probably was, he just likes that fun too, but when I recognized who he was, it changed my perspective of who he is. And it's the same thing with our life with Jesus. When we actually recognize who Jesus is, it changes our perspective. When we recognize who Jesus is, it's not just a list of going to church. It's not a list of reading our Bible. It's not a list of praying. It's not a list of talking to other people about Jesus. It becomes a daily habit because we desire to do it because we recognize who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing for us. And so the problem is we've come to rely on other people for our faith too much. You know, and many teenagers do this over and over again, as you've probably noticed as well, that they rely on their parents for their faith. 
But I can point back to the adults too and say we rely on our church for our faith. We rely on pastors for our faith. We rely on even Christian speakers and Christian guys that we see online on Facebook or YouTube or wherever. We rely on these guys for our faith. You know, and we're not actually relying on them for ourselves. We're relying on what other people are telling us about Jesus. And we think, yep, that's who Jesus is. We have no clue because we've never actually read through the Bible. But we're believing these things because it's what other people have said. It's who Jesus is. But it's only when we come to really know who Jesus is that our life becomes radically changed. Um, when our life becomes radically changed, we recognize who Jesus, who Jesus has always been. Because as the disciples saw, because Jesus said here, remember, he said, what if you were to see me for who I was before? What if you were to see me ascend to where I was before? The disciples actually got to see this. If, if you've read through the ascension parts of Scripture, uh, it says that the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven and says they saw him sit down at the right hand of God. And as they say, they saw him sit down at the right hand of God, it says that they were staring at the clouds even after he left. And angels had to come say, oh, people, what are you doing? Jesus had to go. What are you still staring at the clouds for? You know why they're so staring at the clouds? Because they just saw Jesus for who he truly was. They saw him as the king. They recognized him as the king at this point, but they didn't truly grasp it until they saw him sit down at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is obviously the place of most power, the place of most importance, the place of authority, second only to the Father. And they saw Jesus sit down at this place, and they were in awe. After they, think about it, they've been following him for years. They knew who Jesus was, but they saw him for who he really was at this moment, and they thought, this is who we've been following. This is the Holy One of God. As, as Peter even ex, uh, proclaimed here in this passage. And this person, as Jesus, as the Holy One of God, who's sitting at the right hand of God, this is the person that we're talking to when we pray. This is the same person we talk to when we're reading our Bible. Get this, this is the same person that we worship every single Sunday. But is that who we recognize Jesus as, or do we recognize him as just some guy who once lived, and I know he died and rose again, so... I guess I'll worship him. Do we view him that way, or do we really view him as being this alive, reigning, powerful king? When we recognize who Jesus is, then our life starts to become a pattern to follow after as we follow after Jesus, and as we follow him for a lifetime. The thing is, we're easily swayed by the crowds, just like this crowd was. They saw two or three of them leaving, and they're like, yep, I agree, it's too hard, we're going to leave too. And we're easily swayed by the crowd because we compare our lives to other people instead of comparing them to Jesus. And we compare our lives to other people, we think, man, I look pretty good compared to these people. Or I'm at least equal to these people, so my Christian life must be pretty great. When really we're comparing ourselves to broken, sinful people instead of comparing them to the reigning true king. Because that's who we're supposed to be striving to be like and striving to be living for. When we've come to know who Jesus is, we don't have to be persuaded to go to church. We don't have to be persuaded to read our Bible, to pray. We don't have to be pers persuaded to talk to other people about Jesus. We don't have to be persuaded to even talk about God in a regular conversation. You know why? Because we want to at that point. When we recognize who Jesus is, we want to talk about him because it's so overflowing in us that we can't help but keep it in. If somebody can persuade you to go to church, if somebody can persuade you to live for Jesus, somebody else can persuade you not to live for Jesus. When you recognize who Jesus is, no one can persuade you 
from following after the true king. So what does all this have to do with us? How does this apply to our lives? First thing, uh, <coughs> when we rely on earthly things, we are not relying on Jesus. When we rely on earthly things, we're, we're living and relying on something that's not going to give us eternal life. We're relying on things that are going to leave us broken. It's going to leave us falling apart. It's going to leave us in pain over and over and over again because things in this life will always disappoint. Things in this life are not eternal. Living for Jesus is really easy when he's doing miracles for us. It's really easy when he's providing for us and when life is really easy, but relying on Jesus is the only way to, to really live for him constantly. So if you're not following Jesus during hard times, you're really not following Jesus at all. Because if you're not following Jesus with all of your life, if you're not following him with everything that you are, you're only following him when it's convenient and you're just like the crowd. You're leaving when it gets hard. You're leaving when he calls you to do hard things. But disciples, those who truly follow Jesus, who truly want to live for him for a lifetime, they don't follow Jesus because of what he's going to do for you. They follow Jesus because of what he has already done for us. Think about that. Jesus is in heaven, having angels bow down and worship him, literally having uh, his pra- praises sung over and over and over and over again. And at that time, the father looks at his son and says, I need you to go, to, go down to earth. Jesus goes down, comes down to earth. He lives an absolutely perfect life, does nothing wrong to anyone, never wrongs anybody, never lies to anybody. Yet he was still arrested on false charges. He was tortured and beaten to the point where he wasn't even recognizable. And then after all of that, he was hung on a cross, one of those torturous deaths anybody could ever go through. And then yet we have the thought to say, prove to me that you're worthy to follow. If we recognize who Jesus is like Peter did, our life and our thoughts are not prove to me you're worthy, it's how can I become worthy like you? How can I strive to be more like you? How can I follow you? We should be humble that God would even allow us to follow after him and live for him in such a, such a close and intimate relationship. We should gladly give up anything or any time that we have to follow him. Living for Jesus for a lifetime is not a once-a-week thing, but it's a lifetime adventure. The crowds will not give up things to follow Jesus. Will you follow the crowd or will you follow for a lifetime the risen, reigning creator and king of the universe? Let me pray for you. Jesus, God, we thank you for who you really are. And Jesus, we praise you for being the God who loves us even when we truly don't deserve it. God, I pray that we wouldn't be like the crowds and that we would turn away from you when things get hard, that we would turn away when it seems like life is just too difficult. God, I pray that we would be like Peter here and the rest of the disciples who proclaim that you are worthy because we've come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. God, I pray that we would live in such a way that our lives would reflect that. God, I pray be with these graduates as they get ready to move on to this next phase in life, that they would follow you for a lifetime. God, that they wouldn't just simply follow you because it's what they've been told or what they've been told to believe or what they've heard someone else say. But Jesus, I pray they'd follow you because they've come to know and recognize that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, help us all as we 
walk with you daily, that, God, that we would follow you with everything that we are. God, that we wouldn't give up when things get hard, but we would only strive to follow you more and more. Jesus, we recognize you as the reigning king who's in control of all things, and God, I pray that we would live in such a way that reflects that truth, that we believe that you are the Holy One of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.